<laughs> All right, here we go. So welcome to Affable Chat. Uh, my name is Benjamin. I'm Joey. And today we're going to be talking about... Snatch. Snatch. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Uh, Snatch. A, a Guy Ritchie uh, film from Guy Ritchie year film. 2000. Yes, and it's uh, written and directed by Guy Ritchie. It's his second film. That's right. And uh, the reason I was interested... Well, this is your warning from here on out. Spoilers. So uh, if you haven't seen the movie, pause this right now. Go watch it. <gasps> but the reason I wanted to see this movie was because it was a British film with Brad Pitt in it. That was the mm. selling point for me. And I was like, I, lo- I mean, everybody loves Brad Pitt, especially yeah. young Brad Pitt. So I... I <laughs> I was definitely going to try to see a movie starring him, but it's, I would say starring is being a little bit too focused on Brad Pitt. This movie mm. is built on their, on the big characters that are, that all play a role through all the hijinks and uh, <laughs> wacky scenarios that end up happening in this movie. Yeah. Brad Pitt is a great part of it, but I think that it's definitely worth it to appreciate what all these other characters bring to this movie. I believe the term is an ensemble cast. Yes. Um, because there's a lot of people in this movie, and they all play different roles, all equally, basically. So, uh, yeah, I think it's executed... Well, that part's executed well, for the most part. Personally, I don't like this movie very much. This is my least favorite Guy Ritchie movie. Wow. Uh, I've, I've even seen uh, The New King Arthur, which people really didn't like. I thought it was pretty good. I liked that the kind of updated, you know stylized version of King Arthur. I thought Guy Ritchie brought something new to that whole story. Um, and, of course, the Sherlock Holmes movies that he did, the uh, Game of Shadows and the first Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, both of those, are, I think, are great, and his style really, like, elevates or you know, contributes to that. Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which was his first movie, I also like that one a lot more than I like this one. I feel like the Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is a better executed version of this movie. I feel like Snatch is probably the low point for me. Although I also, it's got very good reviews and um, does really well on IMDb and um, Rotten Tomatoes, but I, I disagree. Well, even though I can't compare it to any other Guy Ritchie movies because I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen any of his other works because I haven't even seen the Sherlock Holmes uh, movies with uh, Robert Downey Jr., but I really enjoyed this. Personally, I'm partial to... British culture when I'm able to be exposed to it. Sure. And this is a very British movie. Uh, I mean, even, I mean, Brad Pitt was the thing that brought it, to, brought me to it. But the they have a very international cast with very little characters that are American, uh, which yeah. is, is refreshing uh, in this movie. So I, I I really did enjoy it. In fact, I've watched like reading subsequent articles and watching some youtube videos other people's reaction to it i heard the comparison that this is similar similar to like a uh british pulp fiction almost hmm. and while i think it's taking it a little far because yes. pulp fiction does a lot first off pulp fiction is a masterpiece but also pulp fiction has a lot more aspects to it as far as like the non-linear storyline uh and really confusing you in that aspect but Mm. to have all these interesting characters who do different things but find a way to be intermingled and it has some pretty memorable dialogue throughout i think it makes the comparison i mean i I can see why the comparison exists so uh with that said i think let's let's get right into it and uh, i you have prepared a synopsis i sure have all right are you ready yes Turkish and Tommy are two small-time crooks who specialize in illegal boxing. 
During a scuffle involving some gypsies, aka pikeys, and a caravan, Turkish and Tommy's fighter, Gorgeous George, is incapacitated. This is a problem because Turkish and Tommy have an arrangement with crime big boy, Brick Top, for their next fight. Turkish and Tommy recruit the pikey that knocked out George's Gorge to fight for them, but the pikey, Mickey, knocks out Bricktop's fighter with one punch, even though Mickey was supposed to lose the fight. Bricktop decides to give Turkish and Tommy one more chance and takes steps to ensure Mickey's cooperation. Mickey and the other pikeys turn the tables on Bricktop and kill him and all his men, much to the surprise of Turkish and Tommy. Meanwhile, crime big boy and bank robber Frankie Fourfingers has arrived in London with a huge diamond that he wants to sell. Two Russian brothers plot to take advantage of Frankie's gambling problem and steal the diamond for themselves. Hijinks ensue and Frankie ends up dead. The buyer of the diamond, diamond, Avi, arrives in London from New York City to find the rock. He tracks it down with the help of hitman Bullet Tooth Tony. Unfortunately, the diamond is eaten by a dog and the dog runs away. Turkish and Tommy go searching for the Pikeys after Bricktop's death, but they have arrived, but they've already moved on. The only thing left of the campsite is the dog with a diamond in his belly. So, like most of my synopsis, I feel like I left out some parts, but I kind of hit all the big points, you know, this is what the movie's about, this is what happens, but there are a lot of things that aren't covered in the synopsis that I'd like to talk about. Yes, agreed. And, and also... I think this movie, there's a, there's a lot of it, it's almost uh, segmented, where there's individual scenes that are worth kind of analyzing, because they all kind of have their own, you know, it's combinations of these different characters and how they interact with each other that really, for me, keeps the story interesting throughout, because uh, you get such big characters, I mean, a lot of them are t- uh, together, like the same characters are together, but mm. ha- developing them and then having them interact with each other, uh, for me, was like a super entertaining part of it. Uh, and it's impossible to summarize that quickly. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I guess we could talk about that first. We could talk about the interconnectedness of the story mm-hmm. and how there's there really is two different stories, um, really. I mean, I think there's kind of subsections of each of those, too. But um, the way that they interact is is very limited, which was not something that I really appreciated very much. Because really, it's Turkish and Tommy's story, for the most part, until... Um, uh, they until Saul and Vince, the two um, like cri- crooks, crime guys, a- amateur know. crooks, amateur crooks. Yes, yeah, a good way of putting it. They they are trying to rob Bricktop's casino, underground casino, um, which is the first time that these two stories really mix. Of course, it doesn't go well because they're amateurs, um, and but they do end up succeeding in a way. But the only other time that they really like interact is when there's that famous car scene when. All, th- all of our characters are in cars at the same time, and they're all driving down basically the same street, and um, they all end up like causing a huge accident, basically, <laughs> which is really funny, and I like that scene a lot. But it's almost it's totally accidental, and I think that's like really emblematic of Turkish and Tommy's roles throughout this whole movie. I I, I wrote down that they're existential idiots. <laughs> they <laughs> do, you, <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by that? They don't do anything to help themselves. They are so incompetent. It's so freaking obnoxious. Like you're supposed to like these guys, but they're just really, they're really bad at what they do. Like, here I have it written down here. Here, so you know, after the first, after the second fight that you see Mickey in, which is the the fight that he's supposed to lose in the fourth round, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Bricktop is really pissed off. He's like, you know, we had an arrangement. 
He's supposed to go down in the fourth round. He doesn't. Like, first he switched fighters on me, and then he doesn't, and now I'm out of all this money, you know? Like, this is this is not acceptable. So what does Bricktop do? He burns down um, Mickey's mom in, his, in her caravan, which is awful, and he also stakes people outside of his campsite to kill them in case, you know, for basically for insurance. Yeah. What does what do Turkish and Tommy do? They just say, "Hey, Mickey, wouldn't it be great if you just listened to us for once?" You know, Bricktop threatens their lives, and Mickey and yeah, Bricktop threatens their lives, and Turkish and Tommy say to Mickey, "Pretty please." Like, it's, there's a whole disconnect there. You know, they're they're not they're not ensuring outcome in any sense. They're just sitting around playing cards with George's Gorge. But wait, wait. <laughs> I that's hilarious. I actually really do love the name of Gorgeous George. I'm so glad that a character named gorgeous george exists and i'll get back to the i i re- that's my favorite aspect of this movie is the characters i think that's evident already but um well i mean what else are they supposed to do they were kind of in a pickle at that point i mean yeah but like they- how did they get mixed up in this in the first place you know like is, is this unlicensed boxing or is this pro wrestling every every fight is like already determined like that's the whole point of having it be unlicensed there's no I rules i suppose i guess <laughs> are there no rules though because there's a freaking ref in a ring, like, and there's like guys there. It's all scheduled. I, I don't I'll understand. Be honest, I like, don't. I don't really get how uh, unlicensed boxing is works. different than regular boxing. That's what I want to know. You see, it, well, you know, they're uh, they're. I assume that they can uh, break some rules. There's like not as much, uh, you know, rules for the actual sport. Sure. Maybe there's no nut shots or something, but maybe everything else goes. But because uh, oh remember, God. he even says that uh, when they're watching Gorgeous George uh, yeah, hitting the punching bag, yeah. he's like, "In Gorgeous George is headbutting it." Right. So that's and, allowed. Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, is he, "Is he allowed to do that?" He's like, "Well, like Jesus, Tommy, they're not tickling each other." <laughs> <laughs> Which, again, I I think that. I, uh, first off, I haven't. Uh, this is this was my first time seeing any Guy Ritchie film, so maybe I'm easily impressed by because he has his own unique style. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, again, and I haven't spent as much time with it, so maybe I I, ha- I haven't seen it executed to its best extent. But uh, I think that the uh, ideas in this movie are, I don't know, like refreshing. Like it's it's a little bit of a different take on the. Uh, what am I trying to say here? Like. I don't know. It, it, it's a fun ride. So I'm going to be coming okay. at a more positive spin than you, but I appreciate you to, to like continue to tell me why it's oh, like, why I will you tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Like there are parts of this movie I like, and yeah. I, I can't uh, disagree with the fact that it is fun. It is a fun movie. There's a lot of like memorable th- scenes and stuff. I just yeah. don't think, I think there's a lot of problems with it. And I think there's, it's very surface level. Like it's all, it's a definition of style over substance. Okay. There's, there's nothing underneath. There's nothing interesting that he's saying about crime or like the people in this story, you know, the characters yeah. are compelling in a way, but like the are just witty than they are like interesting. So let me, let, let me start off by appreciating a part of the movie that I think does do style over substance well. And yeah. it's the intro of the movie. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it, when you it starts with the security, it's your your it's technically a camera watching a bunch of screens. Like you're, I mean, it's, you're seeing a bunch of screens as you watch these Jewish guys like walk into a bank. They're and also, just, they're not just Jewish; they're they're Orthodox Jewish. They have the braids and the hair and like the hats and stuff. Yes, and the glasses, and, beards. And uh, and one problem I did have with the movie right off the bat is. The security guard who uses metal, like de- metal detecting wand on him, finds the guns basically. Like he like wa- waves in front of him, and he's like, 
you know, uh, what's that? And he's like, do you want me to take off my pants? Go ahead. <laughs> Dude! What the, uh, <laughs> that's your freaking job! Yeah, like, that like that does not fly. And I, I thought that to begin your movie, you need to do a little better job than that to convince me that this is even possible, right? Well, that's, maybe, is that like an Orthodox Jewish thing? Like, are you not allowed to disrobe or something? I don't know. Uh, maybe. And But the thing is, for the casual viewer who may not be, like, very familiar with Orthodox Jewish culture... Yeah, it was a super easy way to get through the... the right. You might as well not even have it, you know? You might as well just not have a metal-detecting guy there. I just have them walk in. Yeah. Okay, but beyond that, right after that, they're okay. talking about Catholicism, right? Which is kind of funny. It's, I guess, it's like, you get to... Yo, uh, hear this conversation between a bunch of Orthodox Jewish men about another religion. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, and you, while you're watching them on these security uh, screens, walking, for, you know, it changes from screen to screen as they walk into the bank, go in an elevator, get out of the elevator. And that is another, like, I guess it's similarity, I would say, to, uh, like, maybe in Pulp Fiction where uh, Samuel L. Jackson and uh, John Travolta are walking to see the guys that Marcellus Wallace sent yeah, them yeah. to they're or whatever. They're talking about that... something totally inane. Exactly. Um, they're about to go do the... Yeah, yeah. It it's does... almost disarming to the viewer because you're like, what What am I... Why am I here? Because it's why so casual, matter? yeah. But that's the thing, though. It's like the, the difference between Guy Ritchie dialogue and Tarantino dialogue is mm-hmm. subtle but really important, I think. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's like a lot of monologues in this movie. There's a lot of things like you're just saying where there's like almost inane conversations that aren't really about anything. And juxtaposed was juxtaposed. I can't even say that word. Juxtapositioned. Juxtaposed. Yes, that, you got it. Whatever. <laughs> They're Actually, next no, to, I think it was juxtaposed. Uh, anyways, <laughs> next to I'll just say that instead. Next to extreme violence. Next to you know crime and all that stuff. Um, but Tarantino. This dialogue helps build the world. It helps make these these characters real. It keeps yeah. like that, that whole scene you're just referencing with Jules and um what's his name? Uh Vincent. They yeah. uh the reason that scene works so well is because this is just an everyday routine for them. You know, this is just something they always do and they're just talking about whatever there was whatever's on their mind. Um they're on their way to run an errand. This is like a whole heist, right? They come in there with the with the, the whole dress and everything like and it's almost more poignant like they're, they're doing it for a purpose whereas you know tarantino's dialogue is is totally inane it almost has nothing to do with the rest of the plot all it does is build up your characters whereas this is just someone philosophizing about whatever you know guy Ritchie wants them to philosophize about you know okay. tarantino's dialogue is often interrupted it's often you know there's non sequiturs there's there's problems with the interruptions and stuff which makes it more real but mm-hmm. guy Ritchie's stuff is just allowed to speak it's just a, a monologue with with no you know no ex external influence well i mean yes i one of the members of this foursome was protesting during that like he kept on cutting in to say can we talk about something else he's like i don't yeah. want to hear this which i agree is still different from the natural breaks in conversation that happens in a lot of tarantino movies so I agree with that. After hearing that, because I recognize that after, because the next thing that happens is a quick jump start to the violence of this movie when they actually yeah. whip out the guns and start in the actual heist. Yeah, right, and, and I like that. That gets it all stylistic. But before we focus on that, uh, I did notice that, that the conversation doesn't hold the same type of weight. It's just not as impact. It just doesn't stay with you like a Tarantino conversation does. And, and again, yeah. I think it's tough 
to compare anything to Tarantino. I think that yeah, doing but he's something... trying so hard to be Tarantino. It's so obvious. Like, uh, you know, like I don't know, like perfect it a little bit better, Guy Ritchie. I mean, obviously this is only his second movie, but so was right. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction right, exactly. was only Tarantino's second movie. <laughs> <laughs> I will try to stay away from the Tarantino comparisons because that's obviously a losing battle here. But. Uh, <laughs> But okay, so then we get into the actual. The action begins. They rip. They whip out the guns. They yeah. start pushing people around and demanding to see this diamond. Uh, and then they they end up getting it. And I believe that's like the next thing is where it kicks into the actual intro of the movie, where it shows that has like the title sequence and the diamond rotates, and suddenly yeah, yeah. you see cousin Abby, and we start getting introduced to all these characters, right. which I think is a good thing that you've brought up style versus substance early because it does there's a lot of style in this movie that i like like the introduction of each of the characters is not only like fun but it, it kind of doesn't tell you anything uh, about like what their role will be it, yeah. it just you just see like this ensemble and you're like wow okay here we go you, you get and it's not just like showing them it's all of them doing like some sort of action and it's very well planned out and just easy to watch yeah, and I, I think that's really good. And I think that's also like representative of something that's done well in this movie, where like these characters are in this world and they're all like different players that, you know, have different roles and stuff. They're not just like characters in the movie, they're characters in this London underground, you know? Yes. So I think like showing that um that whole that whole credit scene I think is really cool. And it does do a good job of showing you like this is what you're like, these are the people in the movie and like they're all gonna have important roles because this is an ensemble cast. So um, it's nice to, you know, have that kind of emphasis early on. No, agreed. Agreed. And, and it, it did put me, you kind of get a feel for the movie. Cause I think that that, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think that this movie does have a lot of the themes of like style over substance, but I'm a big fan of style. Uh, so <laughs> I like substance as well, but I'll, I'll take what I can get. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'll send you a box of pop tarts. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> I will look at them. That will be. <laughs> um, all right. Actually, well, I do want to comment on that too because this movie did make me want to watch Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, movie that I had not previously heard of. I had yeah. heard of Snatch. I had not heard of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, but I heard it was good. And it, it was kind of the – this movie was only two years after – like Snatch was only two years after Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. That's a, yeah. Is there an acronym for that? Is it LS – TSB is that's not shorter sure. really. <laughs> I don't know. Well, anyways, I'll just say Lockstock, but it Lockstock's Lockstock good, did yeah. well, and uh, I like always difficult to follow. Uh, I, always uh, difficult to follow like something you do really well. Uh, and do you feel like that influenced him to like kind of just make a worse version of something he had already succeeded with? Maybe I don't know. Worst version is probably not the word, the right word. It's probably just like, oh, this works, so I'll just do the same thing. You know. Okay. Um, but it is similar. Um, I wrote a review for it a long time ago. For Lockstock? It, yeah. I can't find it now, but I have part of it. Um, basically, it, it is similar. There's a lot of like different plots that kind of weave their way together. And um, Vinnie Jones is also in it, who's the guy who plays Bullet to a Tony. Right. Um, I actually heard that was his first movie. Oh, really? Yeah. He's not a classically trained actor. He was just kind of a guy they found. And this was his second movie, uh, Snatch. I really like him. I like him in all the stuff he does. I think he was a villain on Arrow for like a couple episodes too. Oh. So, yeah, they, I've watched the 
making of Snatch because that was on YouTube for free. Yeah. And they seem to really like him. Him and cousin Avi are not classically trained actors. I don't know how you get into a movie if you're not an actor. Like, are these guys just friends with Guy Ritchie? Probably, you know, you know they probably just look like, you know, it's like, ah, oh, this guy looks the part, you know? He's kind of a character in his life. I don't know. How how great would that be? Do you're right. just you're just a fucking janitor or something, and some director is like, "Oh, you look perfect." Or like, not, like not just a director, like just your random friend. You know, it's like oh, I'm making a movie. You want to be in it? <laughs> <laughs> sure, dude. Like, <laughs> honestly, I would. I would definitely. I would definitely that. jump at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what an opportunity that would be. And then for uh, it, this to happen, change your whole life. Right. Um. Well, and that's kind of actually. How I felt. Have you have you ever played Team Fortress Two? Uh, not really. I've. Do, do you I ever? Know, I know about it. But. You know? Did you ever watch the like shorts that they oh, came yeah. out for yeah. it that were animated? Uh, well, I guess the whole game's kind of animated, but yeah, they. <laughs> I, I kind of got that kind of vibe here too. Everybody mm. has like their thing, and then, but none of them are necessarily like perfect or even somebody you want to root for. But mm. they they are distinct. They are somewhat interesting, and they it, it's. Yeah, everyone has their specialty kind of thing. Right, and it's like they are that thing, and then that's what they are for this movie, and then you get to just see that keep going. Um, Because I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of, like, dynamic characters in this movie. People kind of just, they were themselves, and then they did, if they lived to the end of the movie, they were still pretty much that Yeah, there are no lessons to be learned by any of our characters. Well, Um, I think the lesson I learned is don't, underestimate uh the traveling <laughs> irish people but oh like, yeah that, that in this movie are referred to as pikeys yes <laughs> because actually so let's talk let's talk about that because okay. pikey in the like i again even in the behind the scenes they talk about how that's kind of only pikeys can call each other pikeys mm, okay but we're in the we're talking in the context of this movie. So as somebody listening to this podcast, please understand we're not intentionally disparaging. I assume, I didn't even know that this group of people existed before I watched this movie. But like, like Irish nomads in in like northern Britain or something. Sure, they I are. Mean, I don't know. It's like that's like a a part of any culture almost. I I think. Probably not so much in America, but definitely in Europe. Well, I, like maybe, yeah. It's very specific, I think, about the group they're talking about. But I feel like it's something similar to maybe redneck or something. But if I'm wrong and it's closer to like the N word, please understand that I'm not trying to be. Well, offensive. it's not like I don't know. It's it's not that common of a word, you know. It doesn't have all that connotation. Maybe to a specific group of people, it does, but mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't have that wider. Influence. Well, and I I guess. Because it was just a brand new group of people being introduced in a movie that has a lot of groups of people that are stereo- almost stereotyped yeah. with the characters that they are. Oh, yeah. I thought it was cool to bring in a whole new stereotype that I had never heard of and uh, get them involved. <laughs> and, they, like, again, I don't think that the Pikeys were really disparaged much in this movie. I mean, they did seem poor, but they seemed like they were more united and organized than any other group. Oh, yeah, this. they're definitely the most confident people in this movie. And yeah, they pull off like the biggest part, you know. But it's yeah, I think that's part of the the charm of this movie is that you know it it sets them up as the underdogs and then they succeed at the end. The underdogs, dags, dags. you like dags? <laughs> uh, oh, classic. That that's it. Like you like dags? <laughs> that line, the dags. I saw that everywhere on Reddit, like on r slash movies, <laughs> reading about this because uh, it, it it is. It is a unique 
part of this movie. I can't think of any other movie where somebody's called a dog a, a dag. dag. But okay, so let's let's talk more about accents because sure. Brad Pitt is obviously an American mm. and he's asked to do a lot with his voice in this movie because not only is he playing they even explain his accent in the movie. Not only is he they playing do. An, an Irishman who lives in Britain, but it's like a hybrid that's compl- some third accent. That's totally it, indistinguishable. Like, no, you can't tell him at all what he's saying. I yes. think, like, watching this movie with subtitles kind of ruins the effect a little bit, I think. Um, because I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't see it with subtitles. And you can yeah. barely understand anything he says. It's only, like, a few seconds later that you're like, oh, that's what he meant. And then you're like, oh, that was actually, you know, really relevant and poignant to the point. With, with the subtitles, it's a lot more clear, which I think helps us understand the movie. So I don't think it's yes. the wrong way to watch it. But it definitely, like, ruins that effect of just total incoherence. Especially since sometimes the subtitles just say, indist- like, indistinguished or whatever. Like Yes, yes. And I, I agree. Because... I didn't think that it was that hard to understand because I was just reading it the whole time because right. he's not the first character you run into. At this point, I've been hearing a lot of British fellows, you know, talking in an accent that I don't understand 100% of the time. So I was like heavily relying on yeah. subtitles. But the, even the subtitles do a good job of showing you that he's not intended to be understood with every single thing he says right. because that's the point. His accent is so thick that it's supposed to be unintelligible Yeah, in some places. Obviously, they don't want you to lose track of what's going on. Right. Uh, but, the, yeah, I, I definitely did watch this movie with subtitles, though. It is uh, – I, I wonder if, like – I assume, like, British people can watch it and be, like, pretty – like, most part, probably. I don't know. Because the uh, – they, they are pretty heavy accents. Yes, which again I, I appreciate. It's very authentic, right? Where I mean, after all, where does this movie take place? Yeah. So, it's uh, and 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 it's it's a fun change of pace. Although I have to say, I'm so happy they included cousin Abby because uh, I was afraid that American white males would go unrepresented in this movie. <laughs> but <laughs> you know how Hollywood is always. Oh my God! <laughs> American white males always coming sh- uh, coming up short, not getting cast enough. Uh, for my for my taste, so thank goodness we had we were able to slip one in for this movie. Yeah. Um. Speaking of that, um. There's the when you first meet Doug the head, the guy who's um like procuring the diamond and is selling it. Yes. Um. You you meet him and you meet his daughters. His um, twin daughters. Yes. Um. And I have the whole dialogue written down. He says, "I want to see you two girls up in my office. I just had, I just had cousin Avi on the phone." You know, um, you got to go see him. Yeah, Dad, you told us. He's a big mucker in New York. Yeah, Dad, you told us. I want to see you two girls in my office. Yeah, Dad, you told us. In like, unison, yeah. I, maybe this is 2018, Joey, but I really, that made me cringe so much. Just like the whole, like, first of all, I mean, this is probably, the, there's only, there's like three women in this movie. Two of them are these twins. And they have a collective identity. Like, they're, they're. <laughs> Their whole thing is that they're twins. Like that's it. <laughs> um, like that's that's just kind of that just makes me cringe. But then, well, all that that scene, yeah, was for me. I was like, that's totally unnecessary to have them say it at the same time. I'm like, I mean, I get it. They're twins, right? It's like it's. I guess it's an effective joke, but it's not really clever or interesting or anything. I mean, it's again, this is my style over substance argument. You know, it's like ah, mm-hmm. uh, somebody thinks this is a good idea in pra- and like in theory, but in practice, it's just like. I don't know. It's just not really a joke. It's I can see it silly. in the pitching room. It's like, and he's got 
daughters. But got get two this, tween daughters. Yeah, but get this, they're twins, and they look exactly the same. Like, <laughs> oh this shit, dude, nice. <laughs> wow, this bloke's gone mad. <laughs> Genius. Stop it. Tip top. <laughs> Oh, uh, actually, yeah, did not hear a lot of blokes or lads in this movie, yeah. which I think is realistic. I think I most of my exposure <laughs> to British culture is uh, through soccer culture, okay. and like I think that soccer players are more casually referred to as lads more mm. than just Any most British person? people, yeah. right? So, uh, which because when I was going into this, I was like. All right, time for some stereotypical British <laughs> slang. And while it was, I think, authentic British, authentic is different from the stereotype, right? Like they that. weren't saying tea and crumpets every five minutes like you, like American comedians would have you believe <laughs> that they that they would. So uh, okay, yeah, which which was fun. I uh, That's I true. think it's honestly just... any British movie would probably be able to deliver that, but uh, I was just like I just appreciate it because it's rare, I guess, for me to right. It doesn't uh, like the movie doesn't compromise that for you right like it, it it goes all in for the authenticity in that regard versus you know translating it back to you into a way that's more palatable to a american audiences because i mean i mean this was made by guy ritchie who's british but this is and probably for british audiences but of course the big money maker is going to be america anyway right and yeah I, that's that's a good point that, that he doesn't have to compromise that just to to make money although he did bring in the american superstar brad pitt and he even says it in like one of the behind the scenes things he's like we wanted to bring in brad pitt we didn't want it to make it seem like we were just bringing him in to like put bums in in seats i mean that's why we brought him in but we didn't want it to seem like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean we, i don't know like any anybody who's a fan of brad pitt would be very happy with his whole story throughout this you know he's totally redeemed i mean and totally sy- sympathetic throughout the whole movie so that's a good point. I, well, I like, uh, I don't know, I, maybe I thought he seemed kind of irresponsible when he was too drunk to fight and he was going to get Jason Statham killed. No, but that was all part of his plan. It, right, but at the time I didn't know that. Okay. I was like, Brad Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so um, I I do like the fights in this movie. I think that some of them are pretty good. I, maybe it's just because I really like Fight Club, but I really like seeing Brad Pitt take a punch. <laughs> Yes. Oh, he did so good, especially on the last fight. Oh yeah, well, that last fight is really cool because there's that one part where he's like floating in the air, like yes. literally horizontal. I don't well, know how let, let's uh, let's let's build up to that, right? Okay. So the first time we see Brad Pitt fight was when they put like the they made a ring out of uh, what are the pallets, pallets? like yeah. those like wood pallets, and he was gonna fight Gorgeous George. And I love how that was their whole plan. They brought Gorgeous George in to be the muscle, yeah. and that is the wrong, like, that's the exact wrong thing to do when you're dealing with pikeys. Like, they clearly didn't know anything yeah. about how... No, they, didn't, they didn't know anything. They were in there totally, like, totally unprepared, which is why I, I am so frustrated watching this movie. They, Tommy well, and Turkish is just so incompetent. They are a bunch of incompetent characters in this movie. Uh, but, and and yes, ta- I, the, no matter how smooth talking Jason Statham is... I think I can agree that his character is kind of a numbskull for the most part. But uh, but the fight between Gorgeous George and Brad Pitt, uh, what, what a surprise. Because it's a, it's a one-punch knockout. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Because you, you didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, he gets, starts beating up on Brad Pitt, and he's just taking it, which I was like, classic fight club. Right. And then, uh, but then he comes back with a one punch and destroys gorgeous George's gorgeous jaw. So <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and then you don't see gorgeous for the rest of the movie, which well, I was... He comes back, he has headgear on, though. Barely, yeah. <laughs> he's like a shell of a man after Brad Pitt totally annihilates him. him. But yeah. then the next time we see him, was when Brad Pitt was actually fighting to he replaced Gorgeous George, right? Right. And he's in the ring fighting uh, against Tip Top or not Tip Top, uh, Brick Tops fighter tip and Tip Top <laughs> and uh, and then he's oh supposed God. to lose in the fourth, but he, of course he doesn't. He he domes that guy as well. Uh, yes, and wins uh, the he's, fight. he's the Madman, not to be confused with Mad Fist, um, who went mad. That's right. <laughs> what was the other guy? Um, Mad Fist the gun. In. The gun. He, the gun shot himself. himself. <laughs> uh, and again, see, like, I, 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 this is another example. I think this is an example of where style over. I think substance is better than style, right? Overall, we can say there's probably yeah. more value in substance than in style. Yes. But I think style can still be a lot of fun. Like, throwing that part in totally unnecessary it meant nothing those guys were never going to be a character in this movie but it was funny and it was well executed to like because the the of course like mad fist goes mad and of course the gun shoots and shoots and stuff yeah and the way they 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 filmed it as well too because uh i i like kind of the jumpy quick edits that happen in this movie throughout really uh but especially in that situation where they they do a quick shot of each guy that went like they went to uh mad fist and he's like clapping in this padded cell and then they switch over to the gun and you see him like lift the gun to his temple and then the camera pans to the wall and you see like blood splatter yeah uh and, and that is all style and i and i at least i could enjoy that I, 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 it's memorable. I mean, we're talking about it here. So. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, so he fights um, the madman. Um, and yeah, and then of course, Mickey, this is a, another two hit fight. And Mickey hits um, the madman, madman hits the ground. Yep. And that's the end of that. And of course, like, but I don't know, like, even if it's kind of, you could kind of make the argument that even if Mickey knew what was going to happen, he didn't know that he could punch him out in one shot, right? Like, I mean, I mean, like, even if Mickey was going to, or planning to go out in the fourth round like he was supposed to, he still accidentally knocked this guy out in one punch. You know, like, get, it's hard to blame him for that. If Get, you know. get better fighters. Get better competition exactly. for Mickey. Um, but then the third fight is when he actually has a little bit of trouble because he is pretty drunk at that point. Yes. Um, and, yeah. And, yeah. I, well, I, I think this one does a good job of kind of playing with your expectations as to what you think might happen because he is actually, at one point, Jason Statham is, like, telling him something he hasn't told him so far, which is, like, make it look like a fight. You're getting wrecked out there. Like, yeah. he was just getting the snot beat out of him. I looked uh, – so, obviously, this fight uh, culminates in that epic uppercut that Brad Pitt takes where he it, com- <sighs> it just, like – launches him into the air and then he goes completely horizontal and falls into just this seemingly uh endlessly deep pool of water right uh, where he like floats around underwater kind of collecting himself yeah like like looking up to see his body just lying there yeah i like that shot yes another 
another oh man i'm i'm just echoing your first sentiment but <laughs> style of substance maybe this doesn't mean anything beyond the fact that he just got no hit i really i think hard. this is good like i think this is a really good representation of like what that might feel like you know i mean i've never been knocked out by a punch but it seems like you're just like you're floating you're like in limbo almost you know and you have to struggle to get back to reality back to life um, and he, it's almost out-of-body experience. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I think this is, like, a really good visual. And I think it it, it shows you more than it just tells you. Um, and, yeah, I don't think this is necessarily style of substance in this regard. But it is stylistic. And it is another – I mean, it's, it's just kind of a prerequisite or maybe a, an, an echo from the past of what – Guy Ritchie will eventually accomplish where his style really aids the story where I don't think it really does in this movie well because I, I looked at the behind the scenes for this scene yeah and it, it Brad Pitt does all his own stunts for this movie uh, or at least for this scene I don't know about every single thing he does in this movie but for this scene they uh they, they actually the stunt guy they, they interview him and he's like oh yeah we love working with brad because he's really spatially aware and athletic so he's good at doing this it's like this scene is perfect for him because he's really capable of giving them what they're looking for because they they do the initial shot where he's still in the ring and they have him just jump up into the air and land on a mat and then they have they take him to a whole nother location where he actually jumps off of like an uh, this blue like I guess it's green screen, but it's blue. Yeah. Uh, like ledge, and he falls actually a considerable distance, so they can get the kind of mid air, totally horizontal. And then the third part of filming the scene is where they actually bring him underwater, and they've got him with a mask down there, and he's like, it's a detachable mask. Like he just yeah. puts it in his mouth, breathes, gets enough air, takes it out, blows out some air. They always tell him, get the bubbles out of your hair. Like he's. <laughs> He's always, like he has he's holding his breath and like shaking around to get the bubbles out of his hair that just came out of his mouth. And then then he has to act dead underwater and and not only that but also do the motions that he does towards the end of that which just it looked tough. It looked like one of those things where it's like we can't really make the movie if you don't do this scene, but I'm sure it's terrifying while he's down there. He even talks about how he freaked out at one point. He's like, "Did you, like, Did you see me? I, like, I freaked out." And they're like, "No, oh, you look like you're doing fine." He's like, "Yeah, I couldn't find the mask. Like, I thought I was gonna drown." Like, that's crazy. It, so I, I appreciate his, uh, you know, Brad Pitt being a real tough guy and going through and getting that, you know, all those shots. Yeah, he's great. He's a great actor. So, what should we talk about next? <laughs> well, we haven't talked much about Saul and Saul and Vinny. Vince. Yeah, which Vinny. I think Sorry, they no. they bring a, they bring a real charm to this movie. Yes, uh, um, the my the first time I laugh out loud in this movie is when you first meet Vince and Saul. Um, when uh, after Saul gets the job from Boris the Bullet Dodger, um, Vince comes in with a dog, and uh, Saul says, "What is that, Vince?" And Vince says, "This is a dog, Saul." <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Oh, and I'm I'm so glad you you said it that way because these two guys say each other's names so much. It's like just a part of their exchange oh is to kind of emphasize their point they, by no, saying the other person's this name. This is all. This is a Guy Ritchie thing. Like even when that first one of those first scenes with Turkish and Tommy, when you know there's that uh, when Tommy has the gun in his belt, he says, Turkish says, "What's that? It's me belt, Turkish. Turkish. <laughs> no, Tommy. There's a gun in your trousers. What's a gun doing in your trousers? It's for protection. Protection for what?" It's all that, like, repeated dialogue. You know, it's yeah. very stylistic, but it also keeps the audience involved, like, very, very easily. Well, yeah, yeah, because that way you can keep track of who's who, because yeah. this is, this 
this movie does have a lot of characters. There are a lot of characters, and, and it makes it easy. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like repeating their names and everything makes it really easy for you to remember who these people's names are and who they are, um, which I do like that. Agreed, and because uh, there are a lot of characters and tough to keep track. I actually um, recently read the uh, Death on the Nile, which is one of the Agatha Christie books. She's got all these murder mysteries, mysteries with uh, uh, Poirot is the detective. Yeah. And I, I've also seen Murder on the Orient Express, which I is another too. book in the series. The, and the one that just came out with, um, what's his name? Kenneth, Kenneth Barrow or something? Is he the one who plays Puro? Yeah, he's also the director. Yeah. Oh, really? Of yep. the What? Yep. I didn't know that. Okay, because I thought he was excellent in the movie. I thought, like He plays exactly the guy from the book. That's oh, we're, we're getting out another movie here. <laughs> but I'm just bringing up another example of a, a movie that it's a, it's a task to keep your audience in the know about a ensemble cast yeah and i i think that this movie does a pretty decent job of that uh, at least keeping you re- name recognition at least of the, is a strong suit right so the third um uh the third character oh the third look guy from the soul and vince team is tyrone who is yes. their getaway getaway driver um although tyrone is a really big boy and he is. He is, takes a long time to get out of the car, um, <laughs> which is hysterical. I think it's a hilarious physical comedy moment where they're just like staring at each other, and like Soul is totally un. He's like totally nonchalant about it. Like, oh yeah, Tyrone just takes a while to get out of the car, and Vince is in the back seat. Like, why is this taking so long? Why can't he get out of the car? Like, this is our getaway driver. He can barely move. Yeah, he's like, so, this is our getaway driver. What's he gonna get away from? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> which I actually, because right after he says that, Saul's like. Uh, yeah, don't worry about it. He can when he needs to. He can move. Yeah, which and, he does prove later. Well, does he when he's getting chased down by uh, Big Top's men? I was like, he's running away, and, and I'm like, oh, he, they said he could actually move, so I expect him to get away, and he totally uh, doesn't. He instantly gets caught, and then they start torturing him. I was I was referring to the time when he actually caught Freddy Fourfingers. He like saw him in the back, got out of the car, grabbed him, put him in the car, and his briefcase. So. That's a good point. He got things, something done, but he I would totally say saved that the day in that regard. He, he was not doing his job, which was to be the getaway driver. He was being better at being like the low-level goon that Saul and uh, and Vinny <coughs> were not. Yeah. So, uh, well, like, yeah. The thing is, I I was like, oh, here's the opportunity. Like, as a viewer, I was paying attention earlier when they subtly said that mm. despite everything that's evident. Tyrone can move when he needs to, and there was, that didn't mean anything. That didn't actually. happen. Yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't happen at all. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, oh well. No. But, yeah, but he he was a entertaining guy, and also they drop the title in the in that scene where they get in the car with Tyrone. That I guess sequence of scenes oh, this when is they snatch. go. Yeah, right, because of the dog and the chew toy. Yes, uh, like don't snatch. And I was like, oh, that, that's why this movie's called snatch. <laughs> You ever see that Family Guy episode? Yes. yes. It's an iconic Family Guy <laughs> bit. Oh, you said it. <laughs> and then in that episode, and they then go even more. I'm a family guy. Ah, yes. You said it. Yes. Okay, okay, hold on. Great. For anybody who hasn't anyway. seen it, I guess we should explain kind that's of what the, it is. Um, that's like... the marijuana episode, right? Uh, I think so. I, honestly, I don't remember everything that else that happens in that episode. I just remember that one particular bit where Peter keeps referring to the – you know, he talks about like the line in the movie that – helps you realize it i yeah. think the first line was one that was actually kind of realistic but they do an example where it's like i must become like to defeat evil i must become spider-man Super- or <laughs> superman 3 like the quest for justice or something and he's just like oh <laughs> yeah but um 
So yes, that's where they that's where they refer to the yeah. I guess the movie title, which I don't think is very it's not very important that no. the movie is called Snatch. Well, no, it's not really important. I was wondering actually that does make sense though, because I was wondering why exactly. But it is it's because the dog eats the diamond at the end. Right, yes. And again, I guess that was kind of good to set it up because we established that the dog can easily swallow pretty large objects right. and keep them one, in his stomach. Yeah, well, although that one was like squishy and squeaky. And but it was so funny when the dog would bark and he would squeak at the same time. <laughs> I love the inclusion of dogs in this movie, even if the you dogs dags? themselves dags, but they even if they weren't necessarily treated uh, very well. I mean, yeah. having the big boss man, Bricktop, I don't think anybody has any sympathy for Bricktop. Uh, everybody thinks he's a bad person, and we see him torturing dogs. He's, like, poking one with, a, like, a metal yeah. stick uh, through a cage. So, uh, very... Yeah, he's had dog fighting, yeah. Yeah. Despicable. Uh, something that you know, easy to hate the bad guy in this movie. Definitely. No tears, no tears for uh, Bricktop when he no, not at all. bit the bullet. Okay, so there's um, there's two examples here. Uh, when they first, when they meet Bricktop and uh, they tell him that George's Gorge is out of commission. Um, they tell him that they have a new guy, the uh, Pikey, and Bricktop says. I don't care if he's Muhammad, I'm hard, Bruce Lee. <laughs> Which I think is a great freaking nickname. Like, totally comes off the top of your head. And then uh, <laughs> the next one, uh, that there's, like, there's another example of this like double nickname thing. When Avi is talking about Frankie Fourfingers, and he says, Freddy, I've got a gambling problem, fr- freaking Fourfingers. <laughs> he's like, he already has a nickname. Like, you don't need... A- you don't need to add the extra nickname in there, but I like that. So there, it, they are. There are definitely moments where this movie lives up to like has really good dialogue, things that are witty and hilarious. Like the, one scene that really stuck with me was the fake gun scene with oh my god, Bullet Tooth Tony and Saul and uh, Vinny and Tyrone, where yeah. they bring in the which. Those idiots. Like, well, like, I was thinking about this today, just, just like how baffling that is. Like, he brings, okay, first of all, they have guns. They had a shotgun earlier in the movie. And they're like, no. But they lost it, though. Yeah, but like, no, let's bring these replica guns. And they're like, oh, they look convincing, right? And it's like, no, they don't look convincing. They literally have replica written on the side of them. Like, anybody <laughs> who can see, put the gun in their face, they're going to see that. Like, especially Bull Tooth Tony, who's like an expert on these types of things. So he's sure. obviously going to be totally okay, fine the, with that situation. The way I kind of took it, which I know that him being able to get the anti-aircraft gun, as they refer to it, I was like, <laughs> that's not a... <laughs> what's, what's that? It's a shotgun. That's an anti-aircraft gun. But they... <laughs> The fact that he was able to get a hold of a Spaz 12 says that they have access to guns. So yeah. getting a replica gun su- subsequently is ridiculous. Stupid. How, however, if that, again, and you can't really discount that because that happened. But <laughs> it, in Britain, the, it is harder to get a gun. And I guess I could see how it maybe would be realistic that some low-level amateur crooks who wanted to just intimidate people would get fake guns because that's the best they could do. I but agree. I, g- this would be so much more effective if the shotgun had worked. Like if they had just brought the shotgun and it was a fake shotgun or whatever, right? And they go to hold up the place and they succeed in you know threatening someone with a fake gun. And then later on, they're like, hey, that worked so well. Why don't we try it again? And then, of course, it doesn't work because Bulletooth Tony is a different guy and he's also more confident and stuff. But no, they're like, ah, it didn't even work with a real gun. Why don't we bring our fake guns? You know? <laughs> it's like, 
I don't know. I did that and the uh, the scene with um, Boris the Bullet Dodger when you, when you have those two guys. Um, yes. This is when they have uh, Frankie Fourfingers tied up. They have a, a tea kettle cloth on his head. I don't. What is that? What was it called? Tea oh, cloth? yeah. They and they always make a so, reference to it. And I didn't British. understand. <laughs> yeah, it, it's clearly a British joke because they would be like, "He's got a he's got a tea cloth on his head," and I'm like, "What is that?" Like, yeah, whoosh, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the bullet, Bruce the Bullet Dodger comes in, and he's like, hey, like, I want the briefcase, this is our deal, like, you guys get to get the money, and they're like, oh, there was no money, but we did find this, and they pull out the diamond, right, and they show it to Boris, and they're like, we found this diamond, and we're gonna, we want part of this, and, uh, Boris is like, well, that's not a good deal, or whatever, like, I'm not gonna do that, so then he goes into the room, and they take off the, te- no, they don't take off the, the hoodie, or whatever, like, they basically do something, and Boris is th- feels threatened, so he kills, uh, Freddy, and then he's like, "All right, give me the diamond." And they're like, "Oh, the diamond's back in the case." It's like, you just had it two seconds ago. But you put it after that, after you had it and showed it to Boris, you put it back into the case and then locked it so that you couldn't get to it again. Like, how did you open it in the first place? <laughs> ah, right. It's so frustrating. There, and like, that that's was... such a key moment. Like, like why even show the like the diamond at all? I mean, like. No, agreed, because the, the I think the point of that scene, right, was to do the twist. They're like, well, you've just killed the only man who knew the combo. But, like, you just had it. You just had so it in your hand. It doesn't make any sense. If Boris was a smart guy, he'd be like, yeah, no, like, how did you open it before? Oh, oh yeah, let's not forget that that also sets up Boris's next move, which is to chop uh, Four Fingers' arm off. Yeah, so, why, don't you, why don't you just cut the freaking chain, you maniac? Like... <laughs> oh my god like oh yeah the only way to get this off is cut his hand off like that doesn't make any sense it just uh i think that they had <laughs> you ideas. Don't have any bolt like, cutters we, in that freaking shop they're like we want him to establish that the guys know there's a diamond in there so that they want more of a cut right they're not satisfied with the 10 why not grand just have frankie promised. yeah just why don't you have frankie say that there's a diamond in there right, right well here's it yeah so that i think they had a bunch of ideas but they didn't like sew them together well because they knew no. that they wanted saul Vinny to know that there was a huge diamond and that they wanted more than that they were promised initially right yeah then they wanted the uh what's his name this is the russian guy uh boris boris to shoot uh del toro in the head and then them be like you've just killed the only man who knew the combo we got and some they wanted snappy dialogue to... <laughs> right right and they wanted him to chop his arm off they're like okay as long as those three, three things happen i don't care what else happens in this scene yeah whatever. and it, it came together the way it did because now that you mention it i do remember being confused at that yeah because that doesn't make any freaking the sense. other thing that bothers me about this is that boris kills frankie and earlier in the movie when boris fi- finds out that frankie has a diamond his brother who you know tells him says i don't want you to hire any amateurs that are going to kill frankie Fourfingers because that's going to make come back to us and boris is the one that kills him he comes in there and shoots him right away Oh my god, I now wow. <laughs> that scene bothers me so much. And I'm just like, this movie drives me nuts. That's a pretty glaring plot hole, I'll have to admit. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's another so then this I want to transition to uh, when they're threatening Bullet Tooth with the replica guns, and of course Bullet Tooth has Right, right. Back um, to this. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm, I, you know, I, I know those are replicas or whatever. You guys are idiots. And he, he starts monologuing to them about dicks. Yeah, how, how? I don't know. I, the, I, I literally the, wrote down whatever. I don't care at this point. I no, like, he, I thought it was kind of funny because he realized 
before the audience knows for a fact. Well, the audience knows that the guns are replicas, but they don't know that uh, Bulletooth. Right, they don't know that Bulletooth Tony knows that they're fakes, and he starts being really confident. He kind of switches from what he previously was doing, which was like asking for a ride and getting a beer from this guy, yeah. to like figuring out how he's going to get out of this one alive. And maybe that I know that we've already established that the premise is ridiculous that they're bringing in repl- replica guns, but his I thought it was kind of cool the way that he like got himself out of that situation and. Maybe this movie is a little more fixated on male genitalia than I would have done <laughs> if I was writing and directing it. But, <laughs> he, I mean, he was kind of making like a... Penises have been known to shrink on occasion. So, <laughs> he was like referencing how they're shrinking and maybe their intimidation in the room as sure. they realize, and as we simil- like similarly realize, that those guns are not going to stand up against his real gun when he knows that they're fake. Right. The, I like the switch because that you've got the camera slides from in front of them to the side of the gun and you like, as it goes down the side yeah. of the gun, you see that it says replica. And then he <laughs> says, and like yours says replica and mine says desert Z- eagle. Point like, five. Oh yeah. That's pretty good. And it does the same thing, <laughs> which is cool. Um, so more style there, but, uh, Definitely, no, that's like, that's another, like, uh, that's another one of my critiques is that this movie is the opposite of subtle and like there's it leaves you no room for inter- like for interpretation <laughs> there's there's never any doubt you know the the repetition of the names is a good example of this too and then of course this like, thing is like oh yeah you forgot these replicas here let me spell it out for you replica <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then so this is followed up because he intimidates them to leave. He doesn't. Well, wait, just... Why did they? Why did they even go in there? Do, do you know why uh, Vincent? Um, did they want even, it? They wanted to get in? the diamond from uh, from those two, right? Because wasn't were they chasing Bullet Tooth? Bullet Tooth was with somebody else who had it. With, he was uh, with Avi and with um, um, Boris. No, they don't. The... Bor- no, Boris had gotten hit by the car at this point. This is after the right. wreck. But, but yeah, but they were in the car right there. They're following them. Who has the diamond at this point? Okay, so what happened... Yeah, so when the trail leads to Boris, they kidnap him, retrieve the diamond, closely pursued by Saul and Vinny. So that was A.V. and uh, Bullet Tooth Tony. Yeah. They were looking for Frankie, but they found Boris, who had the diamond. Uh, right, they like ransacked his house or whatever. And then... Uh, they kidnap him, retrieve the diamond, and Saul, Vinny, and Tyrone follow them. And then they have the the crash scene, right? That we all yep. that we know. And uh, then Tony and Abby are confronted by Saul, Vinny, and Tyrone at the pub, where Tony realizes that the trio's pistols are replicas, which he contrasts with his real handgun, intimidating at the same time. The wounded Boris arrives with an assault rifle and a grenade launcher, looking for the diamond, uh, but is shot and killed by Tony. Uh, wounding Tyrone at the same time, Saul and Vinny leave a wounded Tyrone to escape with the diamond, which Vinny hides in his pants. How did they get it? I guess they just took it from Avi? I straight up don't remember. I don't know. I really don't know, and it's really confusing, and I don't I don't understand how that was supposed to work. Anyway, let's move on to the um, the, the hallway scene when they're in the hallway and Bulltooth is killing people. Okay. He has to shoot Boris eight times. I, I went back and counted um, because he keeps he keeps shooting him like he shoots him once and then Boris is just like like uh, Boris what are you doing here fuck you and then he shoots him and then he shoots him again and then he keeps coming back and be like hey like you know I'm not dead yet and almost <laughs> you almost yet me <laughs> <laughs> 
And that yeah. saves Tyrone's life. Tyrone ends up just keeping the one bullet he took. Right. Because, uh... Because Bullet Tooth runs out of bullets, yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah, and I guess in retrospect, that scene is kind of whimsical and crazy. <laughs> right, because... so, so this is like, this is another comparison I want to make with Tarantino, in that... Oh, perfect. Tarantino's violence, it really means something. Yes. You know, in every tarantino movie there's a lot of hyper there's a lot of ultra violence there's a, and the reason why i like ultra violence is because of how like visceral and how real it is um it, if you look at movies like like clockwork orange or Requiem for a dream or american history x um the violence in those movies is extreme but it's also really meaningful you feel it you it it progresses the story in like a meaningful direction all the violence in this movie is all downplayed it's all diluted um it's just like it's all for a joke you know it's all like hey isn't it funny if this person died it's never like it's 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 like it kind of this you know existential humor of like oh you know playing with your expectations i suppose but it's it's also just done in a way that doesn't have any weight to it um which i just don't like you know i don't have to see boris get shot eight times but i want that like I don't know, I want that visceral feeling, you know, I want that, like, oh, he actually, like, is hurt, he's actually, like, in pain, like, these bullets actually are hurting him, or not hurting him, and, and show the difference between those two, you know, show someone else being shot, and, you know, going through the emotions that Tim Roth does in Reservoir Dogs, it's, sure. you know, the bullets are, you know, a dime a dozen in this movie, and the, none of them mean anything. And it is, at this point, you have to hope that it's for a joke, I guess, right? That it's like, look, he's still being shot. And and while I don't think it's a good joke, no, I think so. you're completely outside the realm of trying to be even remotely realistic with it. Because who was the guy that they showed earlier who could take all the bullets? He got shot like six times. That was Bullet Tooth. That was Bullet Tooth. Okay, yeah. So yeah. he... So, which what which is what well, I want to bring up the next thing, which is how Bullet Tooth dies, um, because they go back to Phil and Vinny's place and they start ransacking the place, and then, uh, well, no, the, the dog has already destroyed everything, yes. and um, they show him the diamond or whatever, and, like I have it in my parents the whole time, and then the dog eats the diamond because dog, and then um, they're like, well, you should ha you have to kill the dog now, Bullet Tooth, and Bullet Tooth is like, no. See, here's he's, the thing that he's surprised. like the. He's like the rest of us. He's willing to torture and kill other humans, but he's when it comes to dogs, comes to dags. When it comes nah. to dags, well, <laughs> well, again, and that scene is funny too. But I. But then he dies. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, go um, ahead. But then he dies from a bullet from his own gun. You know, it's supposed to be like this guy who takes a bunch of bullets and he just dies from a bullet from his own gun in like a most bitch way ever. Like, no pun intended. Dog pun intended. <laughs> um, well. The, it, yeah. The, the disconnect for me in that scene was once you if you're Saul and Vinny and you show the diamond to these ruthless killers yeah once you've shown them the diamond your leverage is gone they have no reason for you to still be alive right. besides well, like, they just don't want to deal with the body why did Vince want to sacrifice his life for the dog right like he's like oh I'm gonna give up this this dog has been nothing but trouble for me. Like, I'm just going to let them, I'm going to not let them kill it. Like, I guess that's nice from the audience perspective. You don't have to see a dog die, but it's like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, Oh, what's more valuable, either my life or this dog's. Well, and then of course the dog actually does eat the diamond and then flies. Or well, it, it yeah, had it that point, but it flies, flies out, out the window. window. Which was, yeah. That was yeah. a little bit r ridiculous, but the, I mean, the dog had shown a tendency to be somewhat ridiculous before that too. It could find its its home from so far away, and it could also 
eat chew toys whole. So <laughs> this is clearly a supernatural dog. Right. And it's and again, it's the title dog too. It's it, the, the, its the ability snatch to dog. snatch <laughs> is the whole premise. So that's true. Uh, I guess yeah, I can the, suspend to disbelief a little bit more. <laughs> but I asked myself, like, who am I supposed to root for? And as I've said, um, Turkish and Tommy, I lose interest in very, very quickly just because they don't do anything to help themselves. I like Mickey. I think he's very sympathetic and he's like plays the underdog and everything. So I like his whole storyline. I uh, I like um, Bricktop as an as a villain too i think he's yeah. a great villain um and it's satisfying when he's killed um and i really like bullet tooth tony i think he's like a great addition you know he kind of saves the movie for me and halfway through when he shows up and he's you know doing all this stuff and he's very effective very professional unlike all of the other criminals we see in this movie um but then he dies like so easily but by a bullet from his own gun like after av randomly shoots it after a dog that he can't even hit like Come on, like if you're making trying to make me like this movie, like why you gotta kill one of your best characters in the worst way possible? That's what Game of Thrones does. I guess the worst way possible. Yeah, but Game of Thrones does it because they want it to be real. This is for a cheap gag. You're like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if he died because they're trying to shoot the dog instead? <laughs> Sorry, no, I didn't yeah. say that with a British accent. So that no, yeah, and I believe me for all the British accents I have done thus far in this podcast, <laughs> I have really t- tried to restrain myself because. <laughs> Thank My you. British accent is horrible. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely. I don't know what if Pikey would offend people, but our, my British accent would. <laughs> I, I I I appreciate people who can do a, a really good British accent uh, or a good Pikey <laughs> accent, like Brad Pitt. So, yeah. uh, one one good part uh, of this movie. But um, all right, let's see. Have we left anything out? Is there anything we want to? Um. Yeah. So the end of the movie is when uh first mickey takes the fight when he's not supposed to kind of the last second he gets up and then he you know knocks out the his opponent um and he has to be rushed out because bricktop's gonna try and kill him and his whole family but little does bricktop know the pikeys have been planning a similar assault on his men who have arrived at their campsite and they're just going to go there and and kill them when they try to kill the pikeys basically i don't know if that makes any sense but Bricktop's guys are trying to kill the Pikeys, and then Pikeys kill Bricktop's guys instead. Yep. They they like it's a it's supposed to be like a trap, or it's supposed to be like uh like they're holding them down almost. The Bricktop's guys are supposed to be holding down uh Brad Pitt's family, but um the Pikeys like set an ambush basically. Like they they know they're there, they know they're gonna be attacking them, so they uh, they go after them first basically. Right. Very effective, and of course Bricktop gets killed. Um, by someone rolling up and shooting him out of a window, which was um, pretty satisfying, I think. Yeah, it was a fun twist because, you know, the, the fight just went down. Brad Pitt didn't go down on the fourth. In fact, he won in tremendous fashion. Yep. And and we had been told, explicitly told, that if that happens, everyone we know in this movie is basically dead. Yeah. And, and we've seen that a guy like Bricktop has the means to make that happen. He's even explicitly explained to us that the, all the pikeys will die if that happens. So we, yes. we have an expectation for what's ha- supposed to happen next. And whether that setup was enough to make you uh, paranoid and think that's not what's going to happen, uh, for me at least, it was a twist to see that, uh, you know, it wasn't Jason Statham getting blasted when he got to the back alley uh, yeah. by Bricktop and his men. It instead was Bricktop getting blasted for the first time, uh, and I guess the last time as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I like. I, I don't know. That was a good twist, and I think that was a really good conclusion for uh, Mickey's story too. Um, but then, of course, at the end of the movie, um, just from basically 
just pure chance, Turkish and Tommy come across the dog, and um, they they're the ones with the diamond. Although I don't understand how they know, how they figure fi- find out that the dog has a diamond inside it, like. Um, didn't he take it to the vet when it oh, kept on yeah, squeaking kept or squeaking, something? squeaking, and then they found that, they found the diamond. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And, yeah, they, they said that, like, the vet found it. And I guess the vet didn't have to, sh- like, kill the dog to see what was in his stomach. Yeah, we probably just have to let nature run its course, right? Sure. Yeah, um, or give it a, a dire- diuretic or... Yeah, something like that. Laxative? Right. Whatever the yeah, medical but, like, term is. I find this ending very anticlimactic. Um, like, there's this whole ensemble cast right but like a lot of them kind of some of them end up dead but some of them just kind of end up arrested or something like yeah saul never... and Vinny get arrested for showing up where the pikes were with a dead body in their yeah. trunk. <laughs> like, <laughs> good job guys like which know, this is also oh i'm glad we brought this up because i'm pretty sure this is the first time we see the motherfucking cops the whole yes. movie that's right they just show up at the very end the clean up i don't know why like where where have they been people are getting shot in the streets all over the place <laughs> They had know. oh wait okay just lightly touch on bullet tooth's interrogation method with that guy oh my that god he closed in his window I did love that that he was didn't, he didn't even have to get out of his car you know he just reached out and grabbed his tie like oh. improvise his torture it's good yeah I can uh, yeah I love that scene because he starts by complimenting his tie and he uses it to pull him in and like close it in the window he's like how ironic it is that it's your tie that's got you in this like pickle or whatever. <laughs> He's uh that was yes. good and then like running him down the street and stuff that was cool, uh, yeah. but uh yeah we there were no cops even though they were out in broad daylight doing that among other things I mean they were doing crazy shit all over the place and the cops are nowhere to be found yeah uh, until the end of this movie where they conveniently show up to arrest Vinny and Saul when they had was it whose had, dead body was in their I think trunk it was Boris's was it Boris yeah it might have been Frankie's too so I don't think they ever got rid of his. It would be somebody who died in their place. Maybe it was Bullet Tooth. It right? could have been Bullet Tooth too. Yeah, could have been they anything. had what a litany of bodies they had. They were probably yeah. looking for some pigs. Oh, okay. <laughs> we, yeah, we can't talk about this movie without right, touching yeah. on that's the what pigs. I want to talk about next is the freaking pig scene. So, okay, so I think I think we've talked about the ending, like it, our, our opinion on that. But uh, let's talk about some pigs. Well, first I want to say that it's anticlimactic. The ending is anticlimactic, and that it doesn't. You, the characters I care least about, Turkish and Tommy, end up on top for for no reason. They're, there's no like karma or anything. It's not like they did anything to deserve that diamond. It's not like they, you know, they were morally in the right at any point in this movie that made them like, you know, or it's not like they did anything smart that re- fate rewarded them in some way. They just happened to have it. So whatever. they just floated through and said witty dialogue or Jason Statham exactly. shit on floated Tommy. Through, a bunch. Floated through their lives is exactly the way I describe it. They're existential idiots. Um, and. <laughs> Um, yeah, I hope that Cousin Avi doesn't give them any money for it. <laughs> so that's what I think. Anyway, at the so the the um, the 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 pigs. So Bricktop comes in to Sol and Vince's place and explains to them that like pigs like to eat people, um, which is a fact that it's hard to forget ever. <laughs> oh, but yeah, he said like he, the way he says it is so interesting because they they're like, "Who are you?" And he just sits down on the couch and explains to them how to properly dispose of a corpse yeah. using pigs. Like he's like he, he's like he's saying it like he read it read it somewhere. He's like, you're, "You're supposed to chop it up into six pieces and and pile it in a heap and like starve these pigs and then let maybe, them eat it and make and sure you remove the teeth and like the toenails or something." Yes, <laughs> and he's like. Uh, and he's like, yeah, for, for the sake of the pig's digestion. Right. Uh, 
and you don't want to be digging through pig shit after anyways like that monologue is great i think that it just reinforces what we already love about bricktop is that he's this just just amazing bad guy who's so very like cruel and vile and uh good at what he does well supposedly good at what he does i feel like he also it does not really uh do a great job like he i wouldn't like if he really was the kingpin i think he would have taken uh mickey out of the equation he's like here is a yeah uh, fool me once like that's it right because i'm yeah afford that yeah i'm a kingpin i don't have time to be messing around with people who i'm not i'm not comfortable with giving my fate away you know i can pull all the strings exactly i and i agree with that um, I don't like this monologue very much. I think that it has a lot. I think it's interesting from like I guess a like do pigs eat people standpoint, but like and it does make Bricktop like a more of a, a condescending, gross psychopath. But yes. it definitely doesn't make him more human. You know, this is another great example of tarotinying. Ah, oh, man, I messed that up. Tarotinying. Tarantinoing. That's the one I'm trying to say. <laughs> I can't speak. <laughs> anyway, yes, that, like, I, Guy Ritchie's trying to, like, be Tarantino in the scene so so hard. It's it's all that, like, extra, you know, emphasis on something that's almost inane. But, like, the pigs thing is something that he sets up earlier. Like, he does care a lot about growing or raising pigs, um, and it's because pigs, like, will eat human flesh and stuff. Um, but it doesn't make Bricktop more interesting. I mean, it doesn't make him more interesting, I don't think. It doesn't make him more of, a, like, a person or, like, relatable or, you know, put him in the world anymore. It, it really just kind of – it's really just like a monologue. It's just him speaking out what he thinks about pigs, you know, well, re- well reading the script. Sure. Well, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to contest that he is – He's so knowledgeable and uh, interested in pigs eating flesh because he is a killer. He is a yeah. guy who regularly needs to get rid of the bodies of people that he, like, ordered to be killed. So I, I think for me, at, at the very least, I it just kind of built the, him up as this gangster boss, big kingpin, who is very efficient and uh, very... He has a long tenure of being at the top and being uh, this guy who can do whatever he wants, including kill whoever he wants. Yeah, I so. got that. I got that same kind of feeling from him, but not from the scene. It was from all the other scenes I saw, like where he was just exercising his power, you know, pushing people around. You know, he was he was always like really firm and everything. You were scared of him. Yeah, and... telling Errol that he shouldn't think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shouldn't think it's dangerous, Errol. Errol is. That name is only said in a British accent. Like There's if no you, way you if, say it anyway. if he moved to America, they they wouldn't even. It's like it's like what's that guy's name? And it would just be silence because you can't say Errol unless it's it's British. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, but like I th- I lose respect for Bricktop in the scene just because he's like he's he's so obviously monologuing. It's so like out of place in this movie and like even Sol and Vince don't seem convinced that like what's going on obviously they're supposed to be like impressed or baffled or something but they're just like standing around confused I feel like it's like I don't know it doesn't really serve much of a purpose besides like explaining why he has pigs 
it does end up being it, it literally is good advice if they had access to pigs because he's basically explaining to them how to get rid of their bodies yeah. but he has no intention of helping them with that no. he's just there to intimidate them i guess so um i guess we can agree to disagree on that one because i for me that was actually one of the high points in the movie uh, as far as dialogue goes uh, but i can see how you maybe especially with how you viewed this movie entirely uh how you could disagree so honestly i think this conversation has uh, uh not warped but helped me form a more uh rational opinion of this movie a more uh well thought out opinion of this movie i think it's a lot of fun i think it has a lot of interesting parts and it's very quotable uh but there's a lot of substance missing and, and also some logical uh miscalculations <laughs> inconsistency yeah. is a better word for it inconsistencies that keep this movie from being uh just on par with some of the other movies that i think it was emulating so uh, while i enjoyed it a lot i guess now i'd be a little bit more hesitant to recommend it to other people based on uh just some of the realizations we've come to today well if you like this movie then i would recommend watching any of the other guy Ritchie movies because they all have a very similar style they're all like you know they have a kind of similar dialogue too i, I think the um the newer ones not so much the 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 ones that are from existing franchises like uh sherlock holmes and king arthur are a little bit more um traditional i would say in their dialogue structure but any of his other movies on the box talking two smoking barrels i i really like that movie i think it's a better version of this movie and yeah i think um i don't, I don't want to sound mean but for, but this movie for me please is, go ahead okay <laughs> This is the kind of movie that people who don't watch a lot of movies think is a think great movies are like. Uh -huh. um, it, you know, it's like oh, I, like you watch this movie and you're like, oh man, now I'm a film buff. You know, like oh, I understand like what style or what you know what a, a, a director with a certain vision can accomplish. But mm -hmm. like it, that's true. But there's so many better movies that do a so much better job. And and even in Guy Ritchie's own catalog, there are movies that where his style actually elevates and contributes to the story versus just a distraction to keep you from ever realizing there's no substance fair enough and i i think that that's a good dynamic we have here because i am someone who hasn't seen a whole lot of films uh, i mean like like i think you can't go through your life without having like seeing a multitude of films but uh or movies i guess but uh i've only recently taken to actually critically analyzing anything that i watch so uh my, I think that my reaction to this movie may have been exactly what you expected. Uh, I, I think I will pursue more Guy Ritchie films. Like, I, I think Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is probably the next one I want to get eyes on, just because it seems really uh, similar in style and it yeah. has that same actor in it who plays uh, Bullet Tooth. Vinnie Jones. So, uh, yes, Vinnie Jones. So I might have to try that one next, and maybe this time I'll be able to critically analyze it a little closer <laughs> and uh, come back yeah. to the more well-formed opinion maybe i'm looking at that movie with rose-tinned glasses i don't know so okay i'd be curious to know what you think well i think that wraps it up for this one got anything else i got nothing all right joey thanks again for joining me on affable chat absolutely anytime and we are out ah cut it boom <laughs>